Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money, presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, Martin Palomo joins as always, and Reed Davis of Pinnacle Trust joins as well. We're going to talk some uh, current events, some how that's affected the market, some market projections, just some things like that that are going on out there in the news as you hear them and you wonder how does that affect you. We'll talk about those things. First, let me tell you, I'm coming to you from the Cart Ford Studio, Cart Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it, ask for Corey Cart, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line, no hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is up to you. What I recommend is that you get into a Clark Ford. You'll absolutely love the product. You'll love the service after the sale. Corey and the people at Clark Ford want to be your truck guy. They want to be your car guy, and they'll prove that to you when you make the call. 662-257-1900. And Martin, before we get started with uh, Reed and today's show, tell the people out there about Pinnacle Trust and how they can get in touch with you guys. Awesome. Appreciate you, Neil. Happy to be back on, my friend. Um, Happy to have my buddy Reed in the studio with us, too. Um, One of the things that uh, that we like to, to do with our clients is you know, the the news, the talking heads that are on all news channels um, are feeding people constant information, and most of that has a slant towards the now, towards the near term. And if we can be honest with each other, you know, I mean, I know that 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 the media is there to inform us as well, but they also pay their bills uh, with advertising. So. You know, they are competing for what bleeds so that it can lead. For most of our clients, the stuff that's happening today is really not important for their long-term plan. So, you know, we're going to talk about some things today that, uh, you know, that are that are impacting us today. But realistically, you know, we want to be holding our clients' hands, walking them through the path of planning, and and teaching them to really kind of shut off, you know, what's what the talking heads on the news, you know, are saying today. Uh, it can get really confusing for folks when, you know, we're telling them, hey, let's stay the course, and then you have, you know, some dude on a financial news channel yelling at them, telling them, you know, sell your stock or sell your bonds or sell this or sell that and all of that is super super short-term focused and that is not the path that you know we're trying to take our clients down so you know if there are listeners out there that are tired of listening um, you know to the talking heads and feeling insane because they don't know whether they should buy or sell or what to buy or sell or what to do those are the folks that that we really want to talk to Uh, there's a couple of ways that people can engage with us Um, you know one our our uh, website 
is a good place to go. Um, you know, check us out. You can also access this podcast from the website as well. We have some blogs uh, that are written there just for some good information. Uh, but you can get in touch with us through the uh, through the website. Uh, we're also really active on social media, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, you can follow us uh, on Twitter. Go to our Facebook page, uh, Pinnacle Trust, and then also uh, the podcast has a Facebook page as well. So. You can search Mind on My Money uh, in Facebook or Twitter. Find us and follow us, like us. Uh, we are really active there as well. And then, you know, if you're just one of those old-fashioned folks that likes to pick the phone up and call, uh, you can dial us at 601-957-0323. Uh, you can ask for me, ask for Stacy. You can ask for Reed as well. Uh, but just mention if you heard about us through the podcast whether it's on the Oxford Exxon platform or, uh, you know, any other way that you found it. Uh, just mention that you found us through the podcast, and uh, when we partner with you, you will get 10% off of your first year's fees. So the website is www.pinntrust.com. Uh, telephone is 601-957-0323, uh, or you can find us on Facebook if you don't remember any of those, uh, Pinnacle Trust or mind on my money. Reed, welcome back into the show. Nice to have you here. Hey, good morning. What's up? Oh, just your, uh, your usual delights, as my friend J.G. Tate would always say. Uh, so let's let's talk about some of the stuff that's in the news that we haven't touched on since uh, since it happened. Uh, as most everyone predicted, Donald Trump was impeached. He was then subsequently acquitted after a, uh, a, a Senate trial, the, I guess the third one in American history. How has um, that being over now that that's in the rearview mirror? It went exactly as everyone thought it would go, but there's the, that that chapter in American history is over. How has that impacted the markets? Well, you know, speaking frankly, it, ha- it really hasn't impacted the markets. You know, markets are notoriously known as being forward-looking, um, forward-looking markets. So the the probability of, of Trump being impeached and then probably priced in somewhere between 99% and 100%. Um, therefore, when the news came out that both of those things happened, you didn't see a lot of even, uh, you know, intraday market movement. Um, certainly didn't impact the long-term process. So, I mean, yes, the last week and a half has been a wild week in politics. We had, you know, the acquittal, uh, like I said, it was Monday. We had the State of the Union Tuesday. We had the <laughs> Iowa caucuses on yep. Monday, which were disaster. The New Hampshire um, primaries are tonight, and so we, we've seen a lot of events that we've been anticipating for two, three months, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. They've all kind of played out in the last five or six days. Um, end of the story was that you know, <laughs> not much has changed. Not much has changed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of funny, Neil. Is uh, you know, you and I, I think we did one by ourselves, and we were talking about. <laughs> You know, the impeachment, um, you know, chances of impeachment, which we were all on the same page, not even looking at political preferences, just looking at pretty much the facts as they were. And, you know, one of the things that was not a surprise at all was that uh, that he was acquitted. And Reed is right. I mean, I think the markets had pretty much priced that in, um, you know, and on top of that, and we'll get into this, you know, in a little bit later, we'll talk a little more current events, but uh Economic news has been really, really positive through this whole process as well. And uh, so that's just kind of, you know, if you want to call gasoline to the fire of the Trump train, um, you know, markets are still moving. Um, and and we'll get into kind of the nitty-gritty details. But 
but you know, it's there could have been a lot of uh, casualties if there were different circumstances for the impeachment. Or, you know, if, I don't know, if Iowa would have kind of gotten its stuff together and actually produced a winner <laughs> the night of, you know, there might have been a little bit more dent in the Trump train. But, you know, I think, I don't know if Trump is the luckiest person in the world for things to fall the way that they've fallen for him, especially with regards to his opposing party. But it just seems like he has that Midas touch right now. I mean, everything he does at the moment seems to be working in a positive manner and, you know, you know, he just keeps deflecting and shielding all of the trash that keeps getting thrown at him. So it's kind of crazy to watch it unfold. Well, you know, what's interesting is, and we're taping this on a Tuesday, which is the day of the New Hampshire primary. I guess that's today, tonight. Yep, assuming tonight. Assuming they'll have some sort of a, a winner tonight, if you will. But I was reading yesterday, 538.com, which is really good for uh, predicting elections, for kind of telling you, you know, where, where an election is trending state by state and all of those things. It gave a 24% chance that the Democratic Party would go to its convention without a, without a, a candidate already having it clinched. In other words, a brokered convention, which is not the end of the world. That used to happen all the time, but it hasn't happened right. in modern history in a long time. And it, it obviously would mean that the Democrats were spending the majority of the spring and into the early to middle portion of the summer fighting each other and not being able to focus their entire wrath on Donald Trump. And it basically, you know, it it does nothing but statistically help Trump help helps Trump's chances of being reelected. Uh I guess from a market standpoint, do you see the do you see the market watching to see what happens with the Democratic Party, or is there this assumption in the markets that I think is sort of out there in in uh, mainstream populace, if you will, that that barring something crazy, and I know that's a weird thing to say with Donald Trump in the White House, but barring something crazy, he's he's probably going to get reelected. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. The you know before I even start into the the democratic process, and I think it's worth noting that Trump and his team understand very well that you know as long as they walk into November without another major event happening, economy still you know steadily strong, there's a really good chance they're going to win. And so you know you see Mike Pence yesterday saying tax reform 2.0. Um, you, you see a lot of these things coming out that you. Hear payroll taxes a few months ago, um, possibly being eliminated. What What's happening in D.C. is that the Republicans are saying we have the general population vote because the economy is strong, people have jobs, um, consumers are doing well, um, people that want a job have a job and they're making more money than they were last year. Therefore, as long as we can continue this through the election, I mean, something dramatic has to, has to happen. So you say, what dramatic has to happen? Well, it either has to be, you know, some type of spark or, or, or something changing on the Democratic side. And right now, to your point, that's just not happening. I mean, it, you know, Biden, who was originally considered to be um, kind of a lead, the lead runner, um, he's losing his own votes to, to Pete Buttigieg. I, I finally learned how to pronounce that. Um, <laughs> you just say boot a judge. Boot a judge. As fast as you can. Boot a judge. Um, so, you know, he's losing that. And, that, and that's not, those are probably the two most electable candidates. And now they're, you know, they're taken from each other. Um, Elizabeth Warren is, you know, she's 
now third place even among female voters in the Iowa and predicted to be third place in the New Hampshire female voters um, in the primary. So maybe she's eliminated. Don't think Bernie really has the ability to get elected in the long run. So, yeah, I mean, what the Democrats really need to have a chance is to put somebody out there and start promoting them now and build some steam just like they did in 08 with Obama. Yep. And the exact opposite is happening. It's falling apart. And so to your point, Neil, um, if that doesn't happen and that doesn't happen soon and the economy doesn't start to see a turn before, you know, September, October, yeah, I mean, the, the likelihood of Republican winning is is much higher and you will see that. And so the markets obviously won't um, the Republican keep office. And the likelihood of that happening is it continues to get higher and higher. You will continue to see the markets kind of run. And so, yeah, I'm going to jump in and talk about, let's just talk about pure economics for a standpoint. I mean, for a minute, a pure economic standpoint for a minute, because, you know, one of the things that could derail the Trump train would be, you know, something, some kind of fracture in the economy. So I'm just going to throw some stats that were just, that just came out um, to kind of really support that. I, I just don't see that that's happening. So um, just talking about, you know, unemployment, it's at 3.6% right now. So, I mean, we're at the lowest levels that we've ever been. We're also had an uptick in the labor force. So 1.5 million new people jumped into the labor force and the unemployment rate still went down. So just process process that for a second. One and a half million new workers jumped in and then unemployment still went down, meaning that we are still like starving for skilled workers to be in places, you know, working. So it's like if you're qualified you really want to work, the opportunity is, you know, is there. One of the other things that I saw that was just blew my mind too was the labor force participation rate, which I'm going to break that down. It's, you know, it's the, all of the people who adults who are looking for work, um, that want to work. It's, it's been, it's, it's at its highest level since 2013. I'm going to have to look at the percentage just because I don't want to misquote it. So I'm going to read this verbatim. Participation mate, uh, excuse me, participation among prime age adults, which is 25 to 54, that is the backbone of the labor force, is at 83.1%, which is the highest that it's been since, you know, pre uh, Lehman uh, financial crisis meltdown. So, you know, I mean, unemployment insurance are at their lowest. Job participation rates are at their highest. So, like the job market and the economy are both well, rock you know, solid. The, the, well, they go. They go. I remember micro or macroeconomics one hundred one or two hundred one, whatever it was back in back in the day. You know, the economy is a reflection of the consumer. Consumers. 70% of GDP. Correct. Right? So when you have 3.5% unemployment or 3.6% unemployment, when you have uh, you know wage increase of 3% of year over year, it just means that everybody that wants a job is working and everybody that's working is making more money than they did last year, which means they're spending more and they're saving more, which means that the, the general economy is in no, um, no risk short-term collapse unless right. some other market-ending event happens such as oil or the financial system and, and all of that seems to be in pretty decent shape. So, yes, to your point, the, the economy is strong. It's, it's slow, but it's strong. Uh, and until until something changes, you have to think that the Republicans have a major um, 
major advantage going into November. Dude, so if we're going to drop into the world of analogies here, we're driving a Ford F-350 with a massive amount, a massive payload we're towing behind us, and we're just leaving Texas, and we're entering, entering Louisiana, right? So remember the Texas speed limits are... Do you remember? 75. 75 yes. You won. Yeah, that was from, I don't know, maybe five, six, ten episodes ago. <laughs> uh, you know, and all it is is, okay, so yeah, we're slowing a little bit, but that's okay. That doesn't that doesn't mean we're stopping. It doesn't mean we're going in reverse, but we still have a massive, heavy, healthy truck pulling the global economy, which is our payload that's behind us. And then even, and we'll talk coronavirus too, but so even in the wake of coronavirus, which has really been kind of contained to China, for impact on markets the world has really kind of the world markets have really shrugged off the coronavirus so even if China does slow from you know the coronavirus piece the thing that we just saw and I think I mentioned it maybe a couple episodes ago was that the US manufacturing index ticked up it went you know up to 51 Instead of that threshold at 50 is, you know, below 50, uh, we're in a contraction. Above 50, we're in an expansion period for U.S. manufacturing. And it had been on, on a decline. So I'm just kind of looking at all of the scattered puzzle pieces for our listeners who are like, I hear all this stuff, but I have no idea what it means, how it fits into the picture. You know, you look at all of these little scattered puzzle pieces and everything looks good. And even of the, the scares that came through with, you know, the inverse of the yield curve and everyone was talking oh you know if we get an inverted yield curve then you know recession is well and again unless there is something catastrophic that we don't see right now i just don't see i don't see a recession you know coming soon i don't see that trump is going to lose you know this election based off of economic issues and he just continues to stimulate now I know one of the things he's working on is his budget, and he's trying to trip to strip out a lot of the uh, entitlement spending, you know, out of the budget. And who knows? And Bill, you might be able to chime in there with, you know, a lot of uh, with your political history and background too. But I, I just don't. I mean, I think he might get some entitlement stripped out, but you know, there's going to be too much. There's going to be too much fighting and squabbling there for him to strip out a ton. Well, well, you have a system of of checks and balances that whenever it's one of the reasons that I I sometimes get frustrated a little with some of the national media and then some, I have some friends that are far left as you can imagine I work in the media and and and, and then I have friends who are far right and they they're all there's always this concern that you know a candidate is going to get into the White House and radically impact the country and, and don't get me wrong the president absolutely impacts the direction of the country but he or she still has to work with Congress. I mean, Trump is not right. getting done a lot of the things that I think if if Trump were truly a, a, a monarch, if you will, I think there are a lot of things that he would he would push through that he can't push through because Congress just won't vote for it. I mean, for example, right. I, I mean, I think he's going to he's going to present some some budget stuff here in the next week or two that, that Congress is going to shoot down. Yep. Yep, and that's definitely that's exactly what I was alluding to. Um, and I know that you pay attention to you know a lot, a lot of more of the details of that than probably the average person, maybe even more than <laughs> than reader. I. Um, it's but, but it's, know, it's, it's one of the reasons. I mean, not to interrupt you, but it's one of the reasons that I find it so fascinating to watch the Democratic Party right now. They are they are so unified against Trump. 
but they're so completely fractured internally. And to watch what's happening in, in these primaries, frankly, it's fascinating. Um, you know, the, the, the candidate that, that probably would give Trump the most challenge in a mainstream election, I would assume, is Biden. And yet Biden is running a distant fourth right now. His, his campaign is in... His campaign is in disarray. He is running out of money. He has no uh, he has no traction whatsoever. I think at best he's going to finish third in New Hampshire. He might finish as low as fifth in New Hampshire. There's a real chance that a week or two from now, Joe Biden's going to have to pull out of this thing. He's out. Yep. And and so you look at who's winning. And I think as we tape this on Tuesday at ten twenty eight in the morning, it looks like Bernie Sanders is going to win New Hampshire. It looks like Bernie Sanders is going to have a path to the nomination. Which we should add that Bernie Sanders did beat Hillary, Hillary. by 60 yes. points four years ago. And they stole the election from him. Yeah, they, well, you know, whether that was the big, that was the big, you know, all the Bernie, the, what did, what did they call themselves? The, well, uh, but, 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 hey, let me, uh, look, I'm not a Bernie Sanders guy at all, but let right, me, right, right. but in fairness to Bernie Sanders, I do think he has a point when he says, hey, four years ago, I was positioned to be more of a factor in the race than the Democratic Party let me be. The Democratic Party, for the longest time, had essentially promised that nomination to Hillary Clinton, and they, by God, yeah, delivered absolutely. on it. And, and I don't know that here we are four years later. I don't know that a promise is in place. I th- because I think if a promise were in place, it would have been to Biden, who was talked out of running four years ago. And now it, it appears that he has let his window of opportunity. If this were a, if Joe Biden were a major league baseball team, he would be a, he would be the team that they had an opportunity to win a pennant, to get to a World Series. They had a couple of bad postseason losses. And now you look up and the players are past their prime. And maybe a couple of them have left to free agency or they've had an injury. And you no longer look at them and say, well, they're a contender anymore. I think that's... Like the, is that like the Steelers? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the... It, it might be like the Chicago Cubs now where, you know, it might have been... It might have been four years ago, you know, you looked at the Cubs in 15 and you said, hey, here's this up-and-coming team, and sure enough, they win the World Series in 16, and you say, they're they're, they're an unstoppable force, and, and, and they've been stopped, and now their window has passed, and they're getting ready to lose some guys. I mean, in all seriousness, I think Biden's opportunity to win the White House has likely passed him by, and now the Democrats seem hell-bent on, in many ways, putting up a candidate in Bernie Sanders who his his – his ideas to the mainstream American are so radical that I don't radical doesn't typically win in America. Well, it certainly will be interesting to see. And I thought we were going to go the Patriots route when we were talking, you know, a little past their prime that can't get into well, the big game. I, I said major they, won, they, won, they won a bunch of Super Bowls. I mean, yeah. I said major league baseball, and you yeah. guys, both of you, responded with, with, NF, with NFL um, franchises. Yeah, uh, that's sorry, dude. I'm, I'm just, I'm baseball. If, if, if we were, and I love, I love trivia nights. But if you were to play trivia night with me and we actually baseball questions, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning totally. Well, yeah, but you're kind of like Rain Man when it comes to to sports and stuff too. Where I'm definitely I'm not like I could talk Big Lebowski, Game of Thrones all day long. You know, pop culture stuff to some point. But yeah, so sorry, are, are, so are you? Flat. Are both of you guys guys that watched the XFL last weekend just because it's football? Dude, I totally miss I totally missed it, but I would have because well, so I have Christopher 
is 15 and he loves anything and everything that's football and so to him it's like football in the springtime but we we were at show choir competitions all weekend long so uh with with bella my my seventh grader so i missed i missed it all was it any good i don't know i don't i don't i didn't watch it i'm, I'm the exact opposite of a lot of people i i don't watch i don't watch just tons and tons and tons of football um i, I love football I, I love watch, college football. Yeah, I, I I cover college football. I can't I yeah, can't say it's that. Kind of like your job. I can't say that I love it anymore. It's got to be a really compelling game to get me to watch it. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely on the college I football get train. More so. and more in that way. The older I get, I mean, when I was in fifth grade, I watched it all day till morning to midnight. And then now I find myself, I'm kind of like you, Neil. Unless it's a unless unless my my favorite team is playing a, a real there's a just monumental game on TV. I mean, I'll watch it if I'm in my room, but you know, I'm not. I'm not planning my day around it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't do that either, man. I, I don't. I think when you have kids, it's kind of hard to plan your day around sports because I mean, I don't know. This is the case at my house, but my my schedule and time is hijacked by my children. I I own my time between you know 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. and then the children on my time between 5 p.m. and 8 a.m. and then on the weekends. So. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm a weird dad. I mean, yeah, you have a wife too. She, I think, she owns a lot of that time too. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think the kids probably. That's terrible. I should not finish that statement. So, so let's get back to Bernie Sanders for a minute, though, because because no, I'm really fascinated by this. What is from a from a? He's got to get the middle class behind him. Yeah. How does how does he go about doing that when he, he's going to be hit with the he's a socialist uh, label? That's that's definitely gonna that's that's definitely gonna hammer him. They're gonna call him a socialist. They're gonna say, hey, he's out to take everyone's money. He's gonna kill jobs. He's gonna kill. He's going to uh, he's going to put lots of regulation in that's going to kill jobs. All of those things. That's what's going to be hammered against him. And a lot of that stuff is going to be difficult for him to necessarily deflect. Is there a path for him to winning an election other than chaos in the in in the Republican Party or in the economy? Personally, I don't believe. I don't believe. So. I mean, I, I think it all comes down to the six swing states, and you know, you look at the the New Hampshire, North Carolinas of the world, and I, and you know, Trump has still has a, a pretty significant advantage over him in all the preliminary polling. If it came down to Trump versus Bernie, and I think it, it's because of the reasons. And so, yeah, I mean, either some spark has to happen on on the left or something has to plummet on the right and so that you know you kind of look at if you know what you know what bernie is you know what you're getting then trump's got to do something stupid which is certainly possible (laughs) yeah i was about to say that is possible but i mean so if we just kind of let's let's talk about the group that i think he's going to have like the most compelling uh case for which is really going to be um the crowd that's let's call them under 35s um, you know, there's the case for, you know, the, the, the biggest Achilles heel for most 35 and youngers right now from really accruing wealth and financial security is that they're burdened with, with a ton of student debt, right? And, Neil, man, we talked about this, it seems like, ages ago, and it really was the first you know, first one, two, three episodes, um, and we haven't visited it, we revisited it yet, but I think now's a good time to, to revisit. You know, some of the things that that Bernie wants to do that, that he's campaigning on uh, that, that really is going to resonate with the 35s and unders is, you know, eliminating a lot of 
student debt. And so I'll talk about my brother for just a second. And I'm not casting my brother into a Bernie supporter by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but so he just graduated from Mississippi State. He was a non-traditional student. Um, I think he went to commute. He went back. He he backpacked through Europe uh, for couple of years learning you know Russian Romanian which was a really cool experience uh, he worked right out of school didn't go to didn't go directly to college and then he jumped into the community college at you know maybe age 27 28 I may be off a year plus or minus and then um, went to Mississippi State got a mechanical engineering degree and you know the story I've, I've told uh, about my family situation is still true, you know, even as my, with my brother as a, as a grown adult was just my mom, you know, didn't have the means to finance an education. And my brother didn't have the means to pay cash for, you know, for college. So one of the things that, that he had to do was take out student loans for, you know, the years that he was in school. Um, and so he graduated a state school uh, with, you know, right at 50, probably $50,000 of student debt. And he may kill me for, <laughs> for saying that. I didn't ask his permission, but I will. Um, you know, and he's not asking for the government to take care of his student debt because he realizes that, you know, it was necessary for him to get an engineering degree, um, which, you know, of course he did get a degree where he will be able to pay off. But, you know, think about the people that are, in his in his boat where they have degrees that you know they're not going to be able to get uh, a well-paying high-paying income uh, with their degree but they still have you know the same amount of debt I if I'm just putting myself in their shoes um, I would kind of look at Bernie as that you know that guy's my saving grace but the thing is is I don't think that at least I know I didn't when I was in my twenties. I never but, thought about but, but, who actually pays for it. But here's what's going to be attacked by that: the the, the Republican part. The natural tact is going to be if if you're con- conducting a campaign, hey, I'm going to eliminate all of the student debt. Right? That's what Bernie Sanders says, and everybody goes, "Oh, that's awesome." The other side is going to come back and say, "Okay, well, you're not eliminating it. You're putting it. You're moving it from one category to something else." Sure. It's just someone's becoming, paying for it. It's becoming a tax. Correct. Correct. Well, you know, the other just purely human aspect of it is, and I don't know if y'all saw the uh, the audience member stand up and ask Senator Warren a question. Yeah, so Senator Warren was going through her plan, and they kind of, you know, similar deal, and somebody stood up, and it was a 50-year-old gentleman who, you know, looked just like any one of us, and he said... So I'm going to ask you a question. So I, you know, me and my friend both went to the same school. We borrowed the same amount of money. We did the whole thing. I spent the last 20 years being responsible, paid myself. Um, he put it on a 30-year note, joined country clubs, delayed it, delayed it. Um, so you're just going to waive his, and I just spent my whole life working to pay off mine. And so, yeah, there's that aspect of it, too, is, is who, where do you draw the line? Who doesn't have to pay it back? Where do you... You know, do you give something to people that have already done it in, in advance? I mean, what, you know, so that, that, that'll have to be addressed. And that's a definitely a uh, kind of a weird topic for people. Sure. And I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's really is a talking point that where they're trying to resonate with the base. But I just don't, as you said, like, I don't know if it becomes a reality. How do you even put that thing into practice? I mean, I know there's the plans for and Neil and you and I have talked about it, you know, as well, but. Okay, it's, it's fun to talk about, but if you put it, you know, when push comes to shove, who's going to pay for it? I mean, you're going to have tons of backlash on 
And I mean, how do you get that through? How do you get that through a, you know, a Senate that's going to be, you know, majority Republican? I mean, it's going to because I mean, it's obviously Wall Street. It's one of the, the people that yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, that is another piece too. Is you know, Wall Street has, you know, uh, they took a lot of risk in taking on, and you know, and I realize that now the government takes on all that risk for new student loans, but there's, you know. There's, there's time value of money. Those dollars could have been reinvested somewhere else, especially government dollars. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered, and I, don't, I just don't know that there's a, uh, you know, a, a realistic, logical way through that, that that's going to get passed through the houses, through, well, through both chambers and get signed into law. That's what I think, too. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of bluster, that uh, sound and fury signifying nothing. At, at the end of the day, I, I don't uh, – there's, there's – you know, you can't even – if you, you know, we talked about this on a previous show. You can't file bankruptcy and make that stuff go away. I mean, it, it's student debt is student debt. You got to pay it. If you don't want to pay it, don't take it on. Um, you know, if you're going to go accumulate, that's what I tell my kids. You know, hey, look, if we're going to accumulate some debt going to college, let's get degrees that matter. Yeah, and a good investment. You know, it just, it just is. Look, because at the end of the day, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy, frankly. I don't. I mean, I hate it for them because I, it's 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 kind of like I, wa- I, wa- I wonder if there were people around them who gave them legitimate advice. But the kid who goes to Stanford and takes on a gazillion reams of debt to get a job and fill, to get a, a degree in philosophy. I mean, it's going to really help you carry on some really deep conversations when you're making that double latte. But you, you should have known that was coming. I'm sorry. I'm struggling. I'm just struggling back here because. Well, I actually, you're I actually right, had so. a. Uh, my wife's cousin actually went to Northwestern, and he was, you know, majored in some kind of arts or studio. And I and I begged him one Thanksgiving, just go to the Kellogg School, just double major, you'll be able to get a job the rest of your life of it. And when you get tired of you know chasing this dream, whether it's 25 or 45, you'll have yeah, to yeah, really get to fall back yeah. on. And and you know, that didn't make sense, but. Yeah, I mean, did he do it? No, he didn't. no, and and it just you know, look, there's something to be said for survival of the fittest. It's all there's always been something to be said for that. There's a reason. I'm a big reason that cliche, a big believer that cliches stick around for a reason because they're sure. tr- they're true. Yeah, and and survival of the fittest. I mean, Darwin was onto something. He he really was. I mean, there there are just some people that just they don't get it and they don't want to get it and and subsequently they don't get it. And and it just yeah I think and, and if, the, so I if, think if you get, so if you if you go if you go and and you accumulate some debt but you get a degree in architecture from a school that that puts ninety percent of their architecture grads into jobs that start off at seventy five thousand and quickly move their way up well you're going to pay that debt off yeah and that's what I was going to say Niels I think the lie and you know and I'll age myself I mean I'm. I'm 36, about to be 37, and I can remember, um, you know, all through middle school and high school, you know, there was this push in the 90s that, you know, we were all going to go to college, and um, I never heard the talk about trade schools or a trade or, you know, doing something where you're, you know, you're you're actually, there's demand in the job in the job market for it, and you're going to get paid a good wage, and there was no direction on, you know, 
well, what do you do once you get to school? Uh, once you get to college, it was just, you're going to go to college. Everyone's going to go to college. We're going to go to college. We're going to go to college. And, you know, and the really kind of the demand for college was rising so quickly that the price of college, you know, pretty much rose with it as well. And then, you know, I think now we're kind of looking back and going, well, oh, crap, you know, there wasn't, just like you said, there wasn't any really good advice given to students on, you know, hey, you know, we're going to measure your aptitude for, you know, being a doctor or being an architect or an engineer or a chef or, you know, uh, a plumber or an electrician. And and, and maybe that happens in other places, but it just didn't happen for me. And maybe I was skipping school that day because I was not an awesome student in high school. Maybe I skipped school the days that, that those happened and I was out, you know, in the woods somewhere with my buddies partying. But um, I don't ever remember uh, that happening. And, you know, the guys, my buddies that did go to trade school, like one of my best friends is a plumber. He owns his own company. Um, I think I, I may have told the story on the podcast. Can't remember, but we had to have a dishwasher replaced at our house. And uh, I called and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to go to Lowe's Home Depot, get a new dishwasher. Can you come install it for me? And he was like, well, yeah, man, but I'm I'm booked up for you know two weeks. He's like, it's going to be two weeks before I can get to you. And I was like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> just it's a dishwasher, man. But you know, he's, and that's good for him. I mean, that's putting food on the table for his family. And he probably makes more money than all of my friends that have four-year degrees and, you know, and are, and are working, working for the man when he is the man uh, for his time and place. That was a, that was a Lebowski quote, by the way. Sometimes there. Something we have the dude. We're going to touch on this. We're going to pay a couple bills, and we're going to touch on this. Uh, one of the things oh, yeah. that's out there is this coronavirus that is scary as hell. That is uh, yep. that is impacting. I know that is impacting the markets. Uh, you guys can kind of think about how you want to bring that up uh, when we get through talking about a couple of the people who make this podcast possible, and that includes the Refrigco. If uh, TRC is owned and operated by Jeremy Watler. He's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years, including five as a national service manager at TRC. They understand that great service means being responsive. Their highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction. They specialize in ammonia refrigeration but work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 system. They're building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Spanish Fort, Alabama, but they are licensed in uh, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. TRC can handle any and all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection, calibration, vibration, analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Wattler, 251 251- Three four eight eight five three three, or email him at jeremy at com. You can follow them on uh, Facebook at The Refrigeration Company or at their website, therefrigco.com. We're also brought to you by Elite Dental Care with offices throughout West Tennessee in Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. 
Elite Dental Care has five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience, and with their different areas of expertise, the doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. It's a family practice, so the entire family can be seen no matter the age or the severity of problems. Elite Dental Care focuses on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays and more. Their TVs and radios in every room, giving patients the comforts of home, all while they receive the most modern technological equipment. Elite Dental Care offers both conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared or for those that might not be fearful, but they have just a lot more work to do and they can't afford to take time off work for multiple visits. And with sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get much more work done in one visit, ultimately saves the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or the Memphis area, call Dr. Mark Harper, Dr. Clint Buchanan, and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care. To reach them, it's Elite Dental care.com or follow them on facebook and or instagram so this coronavirus is pretty serious thing what are you seeing from a from a market standpoint as i know there's you know kind of fear of a a global outbreak even though that's probably a a remote possibility but i know there's a fear of it yeah i mean i think uh i think that you know one of the things that's kind of let's let's do a comparison to sars as well because that's really kind of the most recent um similar type of virus out of China, almost the same situation. Um, you know, the, the Chinese the Chinese financial markets have been a little bit battered, um, you know, by the the containment issues and, and the and the spread or the contagion of of the coronavirus, you know, in China proper. Um, but you know, one of the things that that they've done different is um, you know, there's been a lot of communication from the beginning. Uh, and they've invited the World Health Organization in to, you know, to, to kind of help be on top of this communicating. And so you remember when we talk about markets um, behave poorly with uncertainty. So when there's uncertainty or unknown, you know, markets move. And we saw it a lot, especially with the China markets. Um, whether the news was good news or bad news, it didn't matter. Markets were moving. You know, good news is moving rapidly in a positive way. You know, bad news when the coronavirus broke, you know, it, it moved negatively. But really, the market volatility or the uncertainty has really been contained to the Chinese markets. Um, you know, we had a little bit of fear that spread over here. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I guess President Xi has on his plate is that, you know, if he doesn't get a doesn't get this contained, I think there will be kind of revolt and protest amongst the uh, mainland China Chinese. Oh, my gosh. I just almost <laughs> called them Chinamen. Uh, the mainland Chinese. Uh, residents, and who knows what that does for him? I know that he can serve a lifetime in, you know, as president. Um, but it does feel different than SARS. You know, uh, SARS was, you know, there was the beginning. China was kind of like, oh no, there's no problem here. I don't know what you're talking about. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, we have a problem here, and you know, and and things were just handled um, in a different manner. I mean, one of the most impressive things that I've seen which I guess goes to the resilience of you want to talk about how big of a powerhouse China is, is, I mean, man, they, they threw up a hospital, a fully functional hospital in six days to, you know, to work specifically um, with folks who've been infected, um, you know, by the coronavirus. Um, 
there's, I mean, there is still, I guess, a good bit of uncertainty uh, that that surrounds the coronavirus. Uh, I saw that you know that the death toll, you know, has been rising, but has still been, you know, the last number I saw was it was still it was about at one percent. You know, I think a couple of weeks ago. We may have said we thought it was going to be two percent of infected of cases uh, where there would be a death, and it looks like it's right around one percent. Reed, what do you want? You want to add? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I would add, just from the market perspective, is that you know you have to remember, Neil, that these that any any surprise event, whether it's the coronavirus, whether um, it's an earthquake, whether it's any you know event that we know is going to change that we know is going to change the world in some shape or fashion is going to have an immediate impact it's almost kind of like the betting lines in vegas markets are forward looking so as soon as it happens you see chaos you see what is it how is it going to impact it you see short-term chaos in markets you know that's what we saw the first couple days markets were down all over the world um then once you know once the global analysts the global markets kind of understood that you know the the death the death rate was really at one or two percent that um, china's actually doing a job to contain it that they kind of caught it on the front end that the the economic impact may have some you know it might it might cause some some chaos in china in the in the next short to near term but from a global perspective it's not going to impact you know global gdp or global economies then you see it settle out and the markets kind of come back and so it's 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 because it's a forward-looking market, it, it does kind of remind me of how lines work in sports, where you see the immediate jump, and then you see over the next few weeks it kind of getting back to where the, the natural level is going to be, and then everything kind of goes back to normal. Uh, anything else you guys want to touch on? Man, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we've, we've covered a ton in this episode and have, you know, really talked about a lot of current events. We've talked about politics, you know, and I, and I guess, you know, maybe we will end up having a few more political episodes, you know, through, especially through primary season. And as we get into the general election the summer, because, you know, they, it, it's going to change and it's going to ebb and flow on a, on a daily and weekly basis. So I'll probably, Oh, I look, I look forward. Yeah. I look forward to the main, the, the general election when the, the we're down to two candidates and their plans are being put out. I want to, I, I think it's, I think it's a service we can provide to take Trump's plans, look at them, take uh, whoever the democratic nominees plans are, look at them and talk yeah. about how that would impact your daily life. If those plans came to fruition. Yeah. I mean, I think that will be a, a, a fun exercise too. We can kind of dissect them and, pull them apart and and talk about the the pieces of them you know a lot of what you see in the general election you know will never come into fruition the one thing i do remember was probably one of the greatest craziest non-presidential remark that i heard on stage was (laughs) was when trump told hillary that he would throw her in jail (laughs) but i knew he was not going to throw her in jail when he got elected so of course they they talk a lot of talk but then when when, when push comes to shove, a lot of that stuff will never come into fruition. And maybe that's one of the things we can kind of help navigate and say, hey, this sounds great on paper. This will never happen in reality. Well, fellas, we'll uh, we'll stop there. Reed, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us here today. We really appreciate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. We look forward to having you back again. Martin, thanks again. Enjoy, uh, enjoy your trip. We will uh, be back next week with another edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle Trust. Don't forget, it's pintrust.com, P-I-N-N-Trust.com. For Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition. See you next time. Until then, take care. Take care.